Welcome to Dave's Rant and Rave on DailyRollCall.com. Today's topic is using the Tenth Amendment to restore our country. If our country is to be restored, I believe it will require divine intervention. That's something to pray about. But as far as what we the people can actually do to restore our country, there are two options, the Second Amendment or the Tenth. The founders ensured we would have the Second Amendment to defend against tyrannical leaders in the future. It is the last resort. They also gave us the Tenth, which was intended to be used by the states to keep the federal government in check to begin with, which would reduce the chances of people having to put the Second into action. I realize that some people listening might not know a lot about the Tenth Amendment. Most or at least many are somewhat familiar with the First, Second, Fourth, and Fifth Amendments, but the Tenth, not so much. I'll start by reading what the Tenth says. The power is not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. The Tenth Amendment is the last of the amendments passed in 1791 that make up what is known as the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights, which includes the First, Second, Fourth, and Fifth Amendments, along with the other five amendments, were results of concerns by many of the Founding Fathers, including Patrick Henry and George Mason, among others, that felt that proposed Constitution would create a dangerously powerful federal government. They were known as the Anti-Federalist and worked with against ratification of the proposed Constitution. The Federalists included such prominent founders as Madison and Hamilton and others that worked for ratification of the Constitution. Both groups made speeches and wrote articles for or against ratification, with the Federalist writings being better known in our day and are commonly referred to as the Federalist Papers. The Federalist Papers were designed to explain the structure and intent of the Constitution. In order to secure ratification of the Constitution, the concerns of the Anti-Federalist had to be addressed. James Madison promised to propose the previously mentioned amendments in the first Congress, which satisfied enough of the Anti-Federalists to have the Constitution ratified. The Constitution enumerated most of the powers granted to Congress in Article One, Section 8. However, there are some powers granted in other amendments, but nowhere near the powers the federal government has claimed for itself over the years through the courts or bureaucracy. So in addition to the plain language of the Tenth Amendment, we have the writings of the founders that were involved in a constitutional convention. Let's hear what they had to say on the limits of federal power. In Federalist Number 83, seventh paragraph, Alexander Hamilton says, The plan of the convention declares that the powers of Congress shall extend to certain enumerated cases. This specification of particulars evidently excludes all pretension to a general legislative authority, because an affirmative grant of special powers would be absurd as well as useless if a general authority was intended. In Federalist Number 39, third paragraph from the end, James Madison says, The proposed government cannot be deemed a national one, since its jurisdiction extends to certain enumerated objects only, and leaves to the several states a residuary and inviolable Sovereignty, inviolable sovereignty means cannot violate it over all other objects. Our framers were emphatic that ours is a constitution of enumerated powers only. In Federalist Number 45, ninth paragraph, Madison says, The powers delegated by the proposed constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Those which are to remain in the state governments are numerous and indefinite. The former will be exercised principally on external objects such as war, peace, negotiation, and foreign commerce. 
with which the last power of taxation will be for the most part be connected. The powers reserved to the several states will extend to all objects which, in the ordinary course of affairs, concern the lives, liberties, and properties of the people. You see, the Constitution, if the Constitution doesn't delegate a power to Congress by listing it, the Congress doesn't have the power. It's reserved by the states or the people. Congress usurps power when it makes laws outside its enumerated powers, and such pretended laws are void and not valid. Our framers understood that civil governments seeks to civil governments will seek to expand power at the expense of the people, and when they do, their acts are void and invalid. Again, in Federalist number thirty three, next to the last paragraph, Hamilton says, But it will not follow that acts of the federal government which are not pursuant to its constitutional powers, but which are invasions of the residuary authorities of the states, will become the supreme law of the land. They will be merely acts of usurpation and will deserve to be treated as such. Say, maybe ignore them? In the last paragraph of number 33, Hamilton says, A law made by Congress, which is not authorized by the Constitution, would not be the supreme law of the land but an usurpation of power not granted by the Constitution. In Federalist Number 78, 10th paragraph, Hamilton says, Every act of a delegated authority, contrary to the tenor of the commission under which it is exercised, is void. No legislative act, therefore, contrary to the Constitution, can be valid. To deny this would be to affirm that the deputy is greater than his principal, that the servant is above his master, that the representatives of the people are superior to the people themselves, that men acting by virtue of powers may not do only what their powers do not authorize, but what they forbid. Originally, the Bill of Rights on the federal government and not the state government. That changed in the decades after the passage of the 14th Amendment, when the U.S. Supreme Court began the process of incorporation and federalized much of the Bill of Rights. However, the Tenth Amendment can't be incorporated and has not been repealed. It is obvious that despite these amendments, our federal government has become too powerful. I would say the federal, the Supreme Court in federalizing our Bill of Rights actually had a lot to do with them becoming too powerful. But that doesn't mean the Tenth Amendment is useless. In fact, it is the key restoring our public. It is an important part of the Constitution. And when elected officials, federal or state, take an oath to uphold the Constitution. That includes the Tenth, whether they like it or not, whether they realize it or not. The problem is too many of our elected officials at the state level level do not vigorously defend against violations of the Tenth Amendment. And by defend, I don't just mean filing suit in a federal court, which in addition to not being guaranteed to win the case, also means the state is allowing a branch of the federal government to determine the scope of federal power. While filing a lawsuit might be a reasonable approach in certain situations, it is disastrous in others and seems to contradict the plain language of the amendment. Remember, the Federalist Papers clearly state that unconstitutional laws are void. The Tenth Amendment states clearly that the federal government has only enumerated powers. So many of our problems, though certainly not all, are created by federal overreach. The Tenth Amendment is the remedy for those situations. When elected state officials sacrifice legitimate state powers in order to receive federal dollars for programs, programs that are almost always unconstitutional to begin with, they violate the Tenth Amendment and further empower the federal government. When state governments bow to the federal judiciary, including the Supreme Court, over issues that are clearly state issues, such as abortion, gay marriage, and many more, they are violating the 10th. 
Standing up for the 10th has to become a litmus test, especially for state elected officials, much like the life issue and the Second Amendment have become. And while we can't untangle ourselves from all the federal tentacles at one time, we have to start somewhere. If your state representative or senator is not willing to stand up and fight for the 10th, then they really don't believe in the Constitution and don't deserve your vote. It's time for the 10th. Failing to stand for the 10th guarantees tyranny and leaves the Second Amendment as our only option. It will be 10 or it will be 2. 10 is a better option for all. Standing up for the 10th has to become a litmus test, especially for state-level politicians, much like the issue of life and the Second Amendment are. It's time for the 10th. Failing to stand up for the 10th guarantees tyranny and leaves amendment. It will be 10 or it will be 2. 10 is a better option for all.